Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye, for the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Welcome to all, including our new listeners. Greetings from the eye of the storm. Tonight, we continue our heading for Calm Harbor, our port of call, centered at the very eye of the storm. If you would like, you may follow along in your Bible as we continue our survey of Proverbs. We'll be picking up at Proverbs chapter 9. Again, we'll be beginning in Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 1. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. Chapter 9 opens with a quick survey of wisdom's rewards. A house with pillars. Slain beasts. Some, presumably... For daily repast, wine mingled and prepared, revealing wisdom's temporal accomplishments for daily sustenance and living. Rewards that are appreciated to be thankful for, but by no means the end of purpose. For wisdom is once again turning to the work of God and seeking souls for God's kingdom and eternity in verses 3 through 6. She has sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. She, wisdom, has sent forth her maidens to the highest places of the city. They are calling to the simple who are overtaken with the temporal things of this world, guiding them to turn, turn to wisdom, especially he who lacks understanding of true eternal values, inviting them to eat of wisdom's bread. One cannot overlook Jesus' proclamation here from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Here, Jesus plainly declares he himself is the bread of life, eternal life, because true life never dies. Once one has been born again into God's kingdom, Jesus emphasizes all who come to him will never go hungry. Whoever believes in him shall never be thirsty. Jesus then declares to those he is speaking with that even though they have seen him and ate the bread he provided them, 
they still do not believe. Is it any wonder there are so many continuing repetitions of the basic foundational truths of Proverbs as wisdom strives mightily to include all who will listen and hear that they too might receive eternal life from God? And in verse 5, including wine already mingled, as with spices or spiced wine. Wisdom pleads with the simple to forsake foolishness and truly live forever and to walk in the way of understanding. Verses 7 through 10 expand and expose the foolishness within many who believe and follow God and his ways with advice on how not to witness to the lost world, separating the scorners from the wise. Beginning in verse 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. How often do Christians testify to witnessing to someone over and over and over, always getting rebuffed, often with unpleasant remarks? Proverbs teaches that we only bring shame to ourselves for for pursuing those who are rejecting Jesus. How often is the church at large guilty of ministering hope to those who scorn, receiving as a result nothing but shameful feelings, meanwhile ignoring those who not only need the encouragement but are seeking it? Jesus himself spoke the truth without any garnishment, the result of being those who despised his message walking away. As Jesus asked Peter, so must we also answer Jesus' challenge. Will we too go away? Proverbs reveals that rebuking an evil man simply gets us a blot. Reprove a scorner, and you draw out his hate to you. Conversely, if you rebuke a wise man, astoundingly, he will return you love. Not incidentally, receiving your rebuke reveals that person's wisdom. Can you receive rebuke yourself? Good on you, mate. Well done. Wise men receive instruction because they understand it will simply make them that much more the wiser. A just or righteous man is prepared to be taught. This will also increase this man's learning. What prepared these men to receive wisdom and learning? In their beginning, the fear of the Lord was their entrance. Discovering the knowledge of the reality of holiness produced understanding. A new focus, a new approach to the paths of life. In verses 11 and 12, wisdom is compelled to utter confirming insight. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, thou alone shall bear it. How many schemes are bandied about in advertising and a host of other efforts to promise a longer life? God's word is crystal clear. Crystal. The gaining of wisdom 
multiplies one's days, guaranteeing the increase of longevity. And how is that knowledge gained? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what is the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord. Who is the Lord's? Who is the Lord? Isaiah chapter 43 verses 10 through 15 offers to speak to the heart of this matter. God himself declaring verifiable historical facts which he himself instrumented. Now reading, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 15. God first calls Israel to witness his truth. Israel was reborn as a nation in 1948. Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 that this generation would witness the end of the world. In this passage, God declares his reason for acting on behalf of Israel, that they might know and believe and understand that I am he. Clarifying in verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is Lord, identified in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, as the Holy One of Israel a title repeated throughout the book of Isaiah in particular, agreeing with John chapter 1, verse 1, as the creator of Israel and the world and the universe in the person of King of Israel. Any one of these titles have spawned through the centuries books, sermons, universities, plus mission organizations, just to note a few embellishments. And these identifiers of who the Lord is are merely a tiny glimpse of our eternal God as glorified throughout the Bible. All this to emphasize the support for gaining the wisdom and knowledge to begin to fear God in order to grow in truth that is eternal. God, having been thus revealed as the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs verses 13 through the close of 18 Return the reader then to perhaps the greatest temptation to spurning God, even when he is so clearly described. We recognize the assault on God's leading by merely returning to the beginning of the world and creation, and Eve's appearance in the garden. 
in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Paul affirms Eve was deceived by Satan, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. Ergo, the seeming repetitious warning about a woman and inherent dangers in some, this time described as foolish. To balance the teachings of Proverbs, let us remember the warnings about the strange woman, thrice the evil woman once, and the foolish woman here in chapter 9, to understand the spiritual battle against mankind. Lest anyone is misled, conversely, mark the continuing repetitions describing wisdom as her and she throughout Proverbs. Women do not have the market cornered on any of these described aberrations, and in fact, Proverbs graces the close of the book with an introduction in chapter 31 to the virtuous woman. And now, the remaining verses of chapter 9, verses 13 through 18. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. A first tip-off to the foolish is their making loud and confused noise. She will be simple-minded. Simple is not describing here plain, but rather silliness with an obvious bent toward seducibility and obvious ignorance. She is public in her manner, in the center of society, calling out to the crowds, seeking the simple-minded, the seducible, to turn in to her house. She encourages these who lack common sense, stolen waters, sin, it's sweet, and secret sin is pleasant. What she doesn't tell the mark is that the dead are there. And worse yet, her guests are in the depths of hell. Once more, the wise are advised in Proverbs, hell is real. A favorite sermon example is the tragedies and sorrows of this present life we trudge through. The very finest and well-intentioned preachers have all fallen prey to the lie that some people have gone through hell on this earth. Many times over the years, I have encountered men who had gone through various wars, such as World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, who claimed they had gone through hell in battles they had fought in. It bears repeating that one such veteran, a man who had spent time in study at a so-called Christian seminary, challenged the idea that Jesus had ever spoke of hell during his ministry giving him a sack full of verses where Jesus exposed the truth and reality of hell, silenced him completely on that subject. Even so, too often over the years that I have been witnessing to veterans, their stories and memories of their sufferings have very often caused me to bypass the truth that hell is real and the destination of all in this world who deny Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have even fallen victim myself to suggesting that people that have died are, you've heard this refrain many times, oh, they've gone to a better place, without ever having heard them profess a personal belief in Jesus. They certainly may have, 
but we shall have to wait and see. One testimony will suffice to a hero bound for the fires of hell. An opportunity came to visit with a World War II veteran from the Battle of the Island uh, of uh, Iwo Jima. It was there, though he served in the South Pacific Marine Corps before and after that famous and hallowed battle, he had done quite well after the war and followed many pursuits successfully and was living out his last days in comfort and peace. I felt honored to meet him. Our conversation lasted more than an hour as he toured me around various rooms in his home, displaying his trophies, photographs, and prizes of a life well lived. Finally, we came to the moment, sitting comfortably in his living room, for me to ask him about his spiritual life. Did he know for certain where he was bound after this life? Being a soldier who had watched close friends by the dozens lay dead all around him on the black ash beaches of Iwo Jima, Similar in texture to coffee grounds, he was well acquainted with the brevity of this life. Having been awarded the Medal of Honor for his personal involvement in that battle, he was quite relaxed and ready to discuss anything our conversation would lead us to. Mocking laughter was his initial response to the question. With the confidence of a man who knew all about death, he even admitted his daughters had often tried to garner his interest in spiritual things always leading to Jesus. He easily dismissed any concern for such questions, resting on his participation in war. He too was quick to point out he himself had experienced hell there on those blood-soaked beaches of Iwo Jima. Interestingly, the Japanese had actually dubbed the beaches, which are in fact uh, volcanic black sand, Uzura Seki in Japanese regarded as consecrated holy soil, imbued with the blood of 20,703 Japanese servicemen who perished in the six weeks long 1945 battle. The U.S. suffered 6,821 dead and 19,189 wounded. Technically, the only blood that is truly holy enough to consecrate anything or anyone is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross at Calvary. The record must be set straight. Any semblance of hell on this earth will fade in the eternal never-ending fires of hell. Jesus himself is witness to the truth and reality of hell. And I quote Jesus himself speaking in Mark chapter 9 verse 48, where the worms that eat uh, where, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Mark chapter 948. New International Version. Many people over the years have told me they prefer the New International Version. This particular verse is solid doctrinally as one can get. Thus, striving to avoid argumentation, though I let this man slide, even though Jesus would not have, I make public now to all who hear this program this evening, whether they are combat veterans or have lived or even are living what seems to them as hell on this earth. They are not. Hell is real and eternity is forever. It must also be emphasized once the tribulation begins, halfway through the Antichrist will claim to be God in the third temple in Jerusalem. Jesus' warning about the following three and a half years is key to this discussion. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or in the Sabbath, for then will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never be equaled again, never again. 
If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Jesus finished. Matthew chapter 24, verses 20 through 22. These years, then, will be worse than anything that has gone before in the world from its very beginning. And that would include the worldwide flood. It will be the worst time of suffering that ever shall be on the earth. Why, then, will it not be called hell on earth? Simply because it will finally have an ending. Hell, once more, is going to be forever, for eternity, no end ever. Although this testimony concerning the reality of hell may seem like a wide digression, let us once more look to the final verse of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 18. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. In grappling with these heaviest of the issues of life, we can agree with the young scholar who demanded that anyone who has not experienced death in war has no ability or understanding to evaluate the depths of experience of those who have lived through the battle. Yet we must hasten to add, they are simply supporting our warnings and pleadings to heed God's word in its entirety. For as sure as death follows life, and in particular on the battlefields of war, so does eternity follow hard on life after death. And we must emphasize here that all incarcerated in the fires and tortures of hell do not escape any more than those who attain heaven shall ever forego those blessings. Life, in fact, continues after death. A living hell awaits as much as a living heaven. In closing, then, it would be appropriate to detail the doctrine of hell for our own confirmation of its reality. Hell is declared 53 times throughout the Bible, 31 times in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, 22 times in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. The book of Psalms registers a hell the most in the Old Testament seven times. Jesus declares hell 14 times throughout the Gospels. Four other New Testament books claim hell, Revelation leading the way, no surprise. Statements by Jesus documenting the realities of hell. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Matthew 5.29 And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10.28 And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Matthew 11.23 And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock will I build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Matthew 5.16.18 and if your cause, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Matthew eighteen nine. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Matthew twenty three fifteen.
serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Matthew chapter 23, verses 33. Even a cursory look at these eight declarations of the realities of hell stated by Jesus himself assure the objective reader of hell's true existence. Other verses support hell's preparation and purpose. Amongst the various statements that assure even the casual observer of the demand to confirm for themselves Jesus' claim of himself when he states in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Lord willing, we shall pick up next Sunday evening with Proverbs chapter 10. For further light from God's Word, may I encourage all who seek additional in-depth study, please Google T.L. Farley books, including Blast Off Repeamor Edition 5. It's now available. Jesus' atomic, any moment shout, per scripture. The prophecy of our blessed hope, the rapture, is the only prophecy remaining in the Bible that needs nothing else to happen before it takes place, and Jesus shouts for his bride, the church. Not coincidentally, our blessed hope is the final prophecy Jesus proclaims, doing so three times in the chapter of the book of Revelation. Coincidence? I trow not. We believers are bound for the greatest ride off this earth, providing insights from Genesis through Revelation made available 25-plus Bible versions, which are alpha-indexed, 1,350-plus verses for stamina. The pluses I got tired of counting. You tell me. Remember, there's plenty of room. Everyone is invited. You only need Jesus. And somebody mentioned Elon. All believers on Mars will be picked up on the way. Logistics to follow, the Lord willing. Again, T.L. Farley Books. And you can also check out When Now Becomes Too Late, my first book, focusing on the very morning of the rapture, uh, being in publishing process on the very morning of 9-11 and Distant Reaches, Autobiographical Adventures from Ireland to a hurricane on North Atlantic all the way leading to Jesus. Book a trip that is more than just a daily sail. Why today? Jesus' own words. Take no thought for tomorrow. He's knocking at the door today. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to them and will sup with them and they with me. And the Lord willing, until we meet again next Sunday evening at revelationradio.net, 7.30 p.m. Central, from the eye of the storm, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, uncles, aunts, cousins, new friends and old friends and strangers, good harvest. Maranatha. Maranatha. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air, or at supper, here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley bidding you a good evening.